we're used to only seeing those type of videos during but we have to remember that the birth of Jesus Christ was an amazing event we should think about and celebrate, I mean, all the time. You see, today we turned the corner. Today we turned the corner from talking about the Old Testament or what we call the Hebrew Scriptures to where we turn to the New Testament, or we can call the Christian Scriptures. I hope through our study of the Hebrew Scriptures you've learned a lot. I hope now you can go to that section of the the Bible and, and understand it a little bit more, understand the stories and the events and everything taking place. But for the next 10 weeks, we're going to journey through the New Testament. So if you're just joining us, it's a great time to be here as we start looking at the life of Jesus and then, of course, the church that follows it after that. Today, we're just going to focus on one of my favorite scriptures and all, excuse me, one of my favorite verses in all the scriptures, a verse we've talked about here before, but we're going to talk about it again. Uh, again, this morning, it's Luke 2.11. It says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You see, this is the only passage in the New Testament where we see these three titles of Jesus brought together. That he's the Savior, that he's the Messiah, and that he's the Lord. And those titles, I hope you can see by now, that we're going to kind of talk about today, have a rich backdrop in the Hebrew scriptures. So now when we read these titles and we see them, they should come alive. They should wake us up. We can go, oh, I get it now. You see, growing up, I learned about the Old Testament stories just like you. You go to Sunday school class. We learn about creation. We learn about Noah. We learn about Abraham, the, the great judges like Samson and Gideon. We learn about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their amazing faith and the flames. We learn about Daniel getting thrown in the lion's den, and we hope, like all of us secretly when we're younger, that that never happens to us. We're like, God, I'm good. Just kind of leave me out of that. But then we talk about Jesus, and he just seems like another figure there. Another one we talk about, another one we look at their faith, another one we kind of celebrate. And, and the scriptures to me always seem like just a bunch of random different stories of people's lives, never really connected the dots on how they come together. I just figured God used people here or there, and they're just separate, independent stories. But what I hope you see is they come together to tell a powerful story of God's redemption. And what changed everything for me, and I hope it will for you, and it, we'll talk about it over the next couple of weeks quite a bit, is that the birth of Jesus wasn't just out of nowhere. It's not that God was just, you know, sitting up there going, you know what, today we'll just send Jesus. Like, that, that'll just be how that works, just out of nowhere. Jesus is the climax. Jesus is the fulfillment to everything you read about in the Hebrew Scriptures. Remember, last week when we left off, there was this unsettledness. Like, they got back to their land. They, they knew something wasn't just right. And that's when we see Jesus. A couple of hundred years later, I'll give you. But it's Jesus coming to fulfill what wasn't fulfilled. You see, if you grew up in church or maybe just you've been around enough to know this, there's a common theme that we, well, that everybody gets taught. It's called CFRC. We say, hey, in the beginning, God created everything. That's the first C. So we say, okay, Genesis 1, God created then we're taught in Genesis 3 that we, we sinned, right? You've heard of that, God created, then man sins. So we get to the first three chapters of Genesis. Then all of a sudden we see, but God has come to save us. 
So we skip to Matthew 26. If you don't know your Bible, we just skipped the vast majority of the Bible. And then we go, but he's going to fill the plan. So then we skip all the way to Revelation and look at the end. So we talk about the creation. We talk about sin. We talk about Jesus dying and raising. And then we talk about it. He's coming together. But what we end up doing is skipping the life of Jesus because we really don't know what to do with it. We sprinkle in some of his moral teachings here or there, but aren't quite sure how it fits together with the overall theme. Things seem very disconnected and kind of sporadic. But what we do know is Jesus, yes, of course, came to save us, but he's so much more than that. And it's because we've missed out on that title, that Messiah thing, we've ended up really missing the message of Jesus. Because while salvation's great, and I want to tell you all about it, Jesus didn't just come to save because he just came to save. There's something else deeper, something else richer that he's come to fix. That he's come to restore. You see, Luke 10, excuse me, Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah and the Lord. Now remember, the angels are showing up talking to Jewish shepherds, saying that there's good news, that something has happened, which means if there's good news, there's probably bad news already circulating. They're already living in a time that, you know, it doesn't seem like the temple had been fulfilled. It doesn't seem like God has come here. The leaders that everybody promised us, Zerubbabel and, and all these prophets said that was going to happen, hasn't really happened. And so they're waiting in the land, waiting for God to move. It's still, what we finished off last week is still going on, although it's several hundred years later. It's the still type of discontent, uh, discontentment. We're not sure what's really going on. But Jesus came and it should have brought them this good news you see when Adam and Eve sinned going all the way back to that Genesis 1 it wasn't just that they did something bad it wasn't just that well you know you kind of didn't listen to God so now he's upset there's something much bigger happening there look at this with me Genesis 1 27 it says so God created mankind in his own image in the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so you and I, human beings, were made in the image of God. And we were given two assignments. To multiply and to subdue, which means we were to rule the earth on God's behalf. You were created, if you didn't know, to rule the earth on God's behalf. That is why he made human beings to take care of and rule on his behalf. We were to be his image bearers and rule for God. This is important. Under God. We ruled for God and under God. We reflected his glory into the world because we're his image bearers. And then we summed up all the goodness and greatness of God and of creation and sung the praises back to him because he deserves our worship. But then something happens. They're tempted. And what? look at this, Genesis 3, it says, For God knows, this is the temptation, the snake, whatever that is, talking to them. It says, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be, what is that? This is very important, like 
God. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight says, The story of sin in the Bible is the story of God's elected people wanting to be God-like instead of godly. The original sin, the one we keep repeating, is that we want to be God-like, not just godly. He says of ruling instead of subruling and being ruled. God's plan for us was to be his image bearers. Where he was in charge, we reported to him, but we had dominion over this earth. And then we see God choosing to rule through a nation to where he, they would be his people, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation if they followed him, that he was going to continue this plan through a group of people where God was the king. It was called a theocracy. Maybe you've heard of that. And from the beginning, we see that God was going to be in charge. He's the king. That humans from Adam to Abraham are all under God. That human beings usurp, which means we took authority and power that wasn't ours, from God's rule. We took it and said, no, no, we want to be in charge. But then we see God forgiving and forms a covenant with Abraham, saying, hey, we're going to do this a different way. And so if you fast forward a bit in your scriptures, you remember these stories about the theocracy. They had judges who would kind of rule, but God was still in charge. But do you remember what the nation really, really wanted? Do you remember this? Think back. Remember the nation when God formed them? They're there, they're like, hey, we want a, a king like all of these other nations. Remember, Samuel was frustrated. He was like, no, you don't want this. But look what God tells him, 1 Samuel 8, 6. It says, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. God says, what's going on, Samuel? They don't want me to lead. They've rejected me. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and tell them now what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Goes on and tells them that, hey, you don't want an earthly king. Look at the nations. The king wants the stuff for himself. He's going to live in a bigger house and he's going to take your daughters and all this stuff that kings do. But the re- people refuse to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king. Over us. Then will we be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles? And for whatever reason, we see God allowing them to do this. God allows them to have this king. That's not what he wanted. He wanted to be their king to rule for them, but they wanted an earthly. So God decided to allow them to have this king. But the king was still supposed to rule on behalf of God. That's why we have books in the Bible called kings. Where we see the kings are supposed to have responsibilities. They're supposed to lead under God and for God. That's why the kings are always getting in trouble. That's why God deals with them very severely. But as you've heard us talking about, we see David do an okay job. We see the sin get the best of them. And then it just goes downhill very, very quickly, very, very swiftly from there. And throughout the prophets, throughout there, you see this longing. Somebody needs to come do this right. Someone needs to teach us how to be the people we're supposed to be. 
Someone needs to help. We're back at home. It's not right. We have these human leaders. It's still not right. They're longing for someone to come and help us be the people we were designed and created to be. But an angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You see, Messiah, this is the one title we forget, the one title we haven't really grasped hold of for some reason. Messiah means anointed one. Remember when David was anointed by Samuel? Messiah means king. If we allow the Hebrew scriptures to speak for themselves, we'll see how Jesus is fulfilling that kingly role that they desperately wanted, that they desperately needed. You see, the gospel, the good news, here's what's very important. It's not just about your salvation. The gospel, the good news is that God himself has come back down to take his rightful kingship. That he has come down to take the throne once again. When we jump from the fall, in the beginning God created human sin, Jesus died. We missed the whole part about the Messiah coming, about the proclamation of Jesus the King coming. We make the gospel about us and our salvation, but the gospel isn't about us. The gospel is about whom? The gospel is the proclamation that the King has come. God has done something in this world. God has come down and the king is here. That means Jesus is the rightful ruler. That means Jesus is the one we pledge our allegiance to. His kingdom then becomes our focus. His rule becomes and should reign in our lives. And this is so important, you got to hear this, which means we don't look to human leaders to get it right. We don't look for another human leader to get it right. Do you remember in the Old Testament, we need a king, we need a king. Today we still say, well, we need a, well, it's just a, and to which the gospel is saying, no, he has already come and his name is Jesus Christ. The leader you need is Jesus Christ. And we then become citizens of that kingdom. The thing Jesus talked about more than anything else in scripture is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, his rule and his reign. McKnight says, Jesus, who is called Messiah, which means king, who is also called son of God, which also means king, God establishes his rule of Israel one more time. And throughout the Gospels, what they're telling us is, hey, Jesus has come, but he's a new and better Moses. Jesus has come, but he's a new and better David. Jesus has come, but he's a new and better leader. Stop looking for human leaders to get it right. Stop putting your hopes and dreams in another political, human, or spiritual leader because Jesus is the one who has gotten it right. It will always and should always be about whom? Remember, 85% of the time in church, Jesus is the answer. It's about Jesus. But something's different about this Jesus. 
It's because he's not just this king, not just this earthly ruler, but he's this divine king, they tell us. Look again, Luke 2, 10, 11. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the what? Lord. You see, Jesus is Lord. John talks about it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things that were made. And without Him nothing was made that has been made, and in Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. You see, according to John, Jesus is the divine king who's come to us. That God himself has come down wrapped in human flesh and walked and came to us. Now, if you, ha- if you don't know the Hebrew scriptures, it seems like a plot twist. All of a sudden, God comes to us. That doesn't make any sense. But if you remember the stories we've learned, it makes perfect sense because we have already seen this. This isn't new. This isn't different. It's God coming to them once again. You see, a better translation to what John tells us here is this. And the word became flesh and tented in our midst. That should immediately draw your mind back to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Do you remember when God tabernacled with them? Do you remember where God tented with them? It's their wilderness experience. Exodus 25, 8 says, this is back in Exodus when they were coming out of slavery into the promised land. It says, they have made a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So remember, out of, the, out of Egypt into the promised land, they had this tent of meetings or this tabernacle where God would dwell. It symbolized God's presence. It's where they kept the Ark and the Covenant. Remember, it was the holy thing in their midst they would take with them. And it also says in Exodus 40, 34, it says, the, Then the cloud covering of the tent meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. As the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, we see John tells us that, yes, he came to us in flesh. We've seen his glory. It's teaching us that once again, just like back in the Hebrew scriptures where God came to the temple and they saw the glory of the Lord and he dwelled in their midst, just like that. But this time, God has come in the flesh. And instead of pitching a human tent, I mean, instead of just pitching a tent, now he pitched flesh and lived in the flesh. And now we see his glory just like they saw the glory back then. You see, if you, if you know your Old Testament, you realize this is a repeat. This is something they should have expected. This isn't out of the blue. This is God fulfilling everything he's been pointing to the entire time. That Jesus has come. The rightful ruler is here. And Luke 2.10 says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. It will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This divine king has come for a mission to save. He has come to rescue 
and redeem you. Jesus has come to save you because he is the Messiah and the Lord. Jesus has come to save you because he is God, the rightful king who has come to take his rule. This is so important. Understand, Jesus has never come just to be your savior. Did you know that? Jesus has never come just to be your savior. Jesus has come to be your king, the divine king who deserves all our worship and praise. And it's the king who saves. You see, we all have a problem. We want to be God-like instead of just godly. And that's where we push back against somebody else needs to rule and reign on our lives. Listen to this quote by Scott McKnight. It's pretty long. I usually don't quote things this big, but, it, but it's very important. Listen to this. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along. McKnight says, Adam and Eve sinned and they died. Sin leads to death. The sin they committed was the sin of usurping, wanting, of wanting to be God-like instead of godly. And they died for the sin. We too are usurpers. From the moment we have become conscious to the moment we die, we want to be in charge. We want to be in control. We want to rule our life. And that's the sin of every man and every woman. If the kingdom story is the true story, then we are summoned by it to surrender our pride and our desire to rule and lay them before the one who died our death, who was buried, who was raised, and who is now exalted at the right hand of the Father as King. We are to turn from our own ruling to the ruling of the King. In His grace of this surrender, we are converted by the power of God's new creation spirit. We cannot enter this story without surrendering. Why? Because if Jesus is the one and only King, we must surrender to Jesus as the King. There is no kingdom mission apart from submitting to Jesus as the king and calling others to surrender before King Jesus. See, the gospels tell us the message that it's screaming is the king has come. God has come. The king has come. The rightful ruler has come to take his place. And you and I are saved, we're rescued, we're redeemed by surrendering our control back to him. The control we took, the control we wanted, the ruling we wanted, that was never ours to begin with. We surrender it back to him. There is no alternative. You see, and I ask, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Not are you saved. Have you surrendered your life? I said, it's not mine, it's yours. You're the ruler. It's you who deserves all praise and worship. Not, not me. Far too many people want to be saved as if Jesus is fire insurance. Well, I'll kind of talk about him just in case. 
but he wants you to surrender as the rightful ruler and king. Because that's what we were always supposed to be. Godly, not God. You see, when you surrender your life to the king, that means you follow the king. If he's in charge, that means we're not. If he's the ruler, that means we're not. We turn from trying to be in charge, from wanting to rule and everything be about us and it's my way or the highway. We turn from that and say, Jesus, it's yours. I know I have my selfish desires. I know I have my selfish pride. I know I want to be in control, but Jesus, it's yours. I'll let you lead. We turn from going one direction, the direction where we know what's best, that we have control, that we got it figured out. We turn from going that direction, we turn towards his direction. The biblical word for that is what? I'm glad you're here this morning. It's called repenting. It's not my way, Jesus. It's your ways. You're like, yeah, but I, I, want, I want to go to heaven, but I want to do things my way. To which I say, you don't know Jesus. He is the ruler, the king, and the Lord. There is no option other to surrender our lives to him. Because of our brokenness, you and I have learned to live a life without God. Which means we all have to learn to live a life with God. And it's challenging and it's hard. And we fail, but because of his grace, he loves and accepts us and continues to guiding us like any good father would. You see, what this is is that we don't believe that we have it figured out, but we surrender to the one who does. And he's not a king who sends you into battle while he's sitting at home in the palace relaxing. He's the king who's went before you, who's destroyed the enemy that you could never destroy. He defeated death and rose victorious. He's a king that went before us in battle and sends us in after saying, I already got it under control. You will be victorious because of me. When you surrender your life, you then accept his death as the atonement for your sin. Meaning that thing in your life that you know is broken, that thing you try to work out of, that thing you try to educate yourself out of, that thing you want to make yourself great because you think it will fix that brokenness. All that stuff that we all do as humans, Jesus says, no. That problem you have is the brokenness. That problem is you don't know me. That problem is you're trying to make a name for yourself, but I, I want you to make a name for me. So we accept his death saying Jesus is the one who fixes it. We acknowledge that we've overstepped our position as creatures, that we aren't the creator, that we don't have it figured out. No matter how smart we are, no matter how far technology advances, we still submit and surrender to God and say, hey, we're just here trying to figure out what you've already designed and created. But we need you to save us. So we say, I need you. I'm broken. I need you. I need the work that you have done on my behalf. And pride will say, no, I can do it. Pride will say, no, I got it figured out. I don't need anybody. To which the gospel message is, yes. Yes, you do. And we surrender to that. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to learn about how this little baby boy, born in a, that's a lot of bees. This little baby boy, born in a manger, changed the world, changed the course of history. 
Not because he was a prophet, not because he's just like some other guy, not because he's just one of these, you know, guys we look at like all the other people in history. No, no, no. The message that's screaming, and there is no alternative, I absolutely promise you, the message the Bible is screaming is that he is the king, that he is God who has come to us. And being that he is the only one who can rescue, redeem, and save you. Imagine what your life would look like if you stopped trying to control things. If you stopped trying to be in charge, thinking you had it figured out. Imagine if you stopped doing things the hard way, learning by experience rather than just surrendering to what he's already taught us. Imagine what our churches would look like if we surrendered to Jesus Christ as the king who reigns. So we're here to make you famous, Lord, not us. Imagine if we all remembered that we have a selfish nature. Me, me too. We have a selfish nature, wanting to be the center of the story, wanting everything to be about us. But who's it supposed to be about? I'm glad you're here this morning, Jesus. And there's something inside all of us that go, mm, I don't like that. No, I, no, it should be Jesus and me, right? Like, to which the gospel is, no. It's about him, what he wants to rescue and redeem you. Luke 2.10 says, but an angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah and Lord. And I ask you a question. Do you have great joy? Do you have a great joy about what Jesus came and has done? Have you embraced the gospel? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? You said, yeah, I mean, I said a prayer, and I, I mean, I asked him to, you know, follow me and bless my plans. Like, God, I got to figure it out. I just need you to come and, you know, give me some blessings every now and again. Have you surrendered when we say, God, take my life? All that it is, use me for your glory. Because you are the rightful king and rightful ruler. And I surrender it to you. Have you surrendered this morning? I invite you to. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ today and we thank you that the rightful ruler has come, that we don't have to try to figure it out. We don't have to try to learn on our own. We don't have to try to pretend we're greater than we are, that we are all broken, hurting, in desperate need of a savior. God, there are many here today, I'm sure, who haven't turned their life over to you. Maybe they've been learning about you. Maybe they grew up in church. Maybe they said a prayer, but they've never really surrendered to the rightful ruler. I pray that they make that decision today. If you're here this morning, you've never surrendered, I just want to leave you in a simple prayer. I'm not going to ask you to do anything special afterwards. 
I just want to kind of guide you through what that may look like. You would just say, God, I'm a sinner. I've tried to rule and reign my entire life. I've overstepped my position and wanted to be godlike instead of godly. I confess I need Jesus. Today I turn from doing things my way. I surrender my life to the King, Jesus. I confess that Jesus is Lord. I believe you've raised him from the dead. I surrender my life to King Jesus and accept his gift of salvation in my life. I now know I can call you Father. And I thank you for the gift of that this morning. Heavenly Father, those who've given you their life, I know you're rejoicing. I know you're celebrating. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that we can always turn back. No matter how far we've gotten, no matter how far we run, that you're always there with open hands wanting to receive us back into your loving embrace. Father, we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand this morning as we have a time of just reflection. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you need to surrender to Jesus in baptism. Maybe you've given him your life, but you've never taken the step of believer's baptism. And that what that is is a public declaration. It's where you stand before everybody and you declare that, yes, Jesus is my Lord. That's what we see every single time in the scriptures. And then you baptize, and it's a reflection of what's going on in here, but Jesus has asked all of us to do that, that public declaration piece. Or maybe you've never surrendered to church membership or, or whatever that might be. If God has something going on in your heart, if there's a next step and you need a prayer, you need to talk about it, well, we can deal with that now. Or if after this service, I'll stay with you and talk as long as you need. Well, I actually have about an hour before the next service. But will you stand and sing?